Welcome, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is April 19th. We're on day 412 of Global Work from Home. And today is also the first day of Earth Week here at Indeed, and I am delighted to be joined by Valeria Orozco, Director of Environmental Sustainability here at Indeed. Valeria, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Chris. This is a, quite an honor. Well, let's start where we always start with these conversations with uh, a check-in. How are you doing today, right now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm doing as well as can be, given everything that's happening and with the pandemic. I mean, I look at kind of broader uh, things to be grateful for, health, my health, my family's health, um, work. Um, and in general, I think doing well. I'm looking forward to the spring season. <laughs> How about you? We're actually doing quite well here. Thank you very much. Um, you know, my, my daughters, my two adult daughters, 23 and 25, have been home since March living with us. And they are now with uh, vaccinations and things opening up, starting to open up their eyes and think about when it might be time to be moving on. So we're actually trying to enjoy the last however many weeks uh, we have together as a, as a family right now. But uh, thank you for asking. No one asks. <laughs> um, Let's uh, start with uh, your job as the Director of Environmental Sustainability, and um, this being the beginning of Earth Week. Can you talk a little bit about Earth Week and what it is that you have planned for uh, everyone at Indeed to recognize um, Earth Week? Sure, absolutely. And, and it's my pleasure. I've been, I joined a year ago, and I was able to experience firsthand kind of the excitement and momentum around Earth Week at Indeed. I joined April 6th or 8th, and then I was able to kind of witness and observe. And I said, you know, Earth Week is something that is part of our culture at Indeed, and I want to I want to be part of that. I want to, you know, kind of help and, and influence that. So um, just to start off with, it's very much been a collaboration with employee experience, some, some of our internal teams, br employer brand, and myself. Um, really, and internal communications, of course, hand in hand, uh, kind of um, planning the the events for this week and the activities. But there are two flavors to it. One is um, some webinars, some information around people's day to day and what they can do, and the second flavor is around our corporate announcements and disclosures. And I, I've made the kind of the decision or the conscious effort, of course, with everyone's blessing, to keep our announcements internal for this week for a few reasons. I wanted Indeedians to, you know, those that have been asking to, to have the opportunity to read this um, in, a, in a way that internal announcements allow for, right? When you go external, you, you know, you're a little bit, perhaps um, you want to make sure that when you share externally, there's kind of the dotting the T and, and crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But it internally gives us a little bit of, of, of ability to be very transparent and have some feedback internally around what we're sharing. So those are the things. We've got some internal uh, corporate announcements 
uh, around our impact, around our climate action impact, and then opportunities for Indeedians to be involved with some of our short-term actions that we're going to be doing moving forward, as well as those kind of day-to-day webinars on, you know, um, eco-friendly fashion, right? How to do it yourself types of webinars, things that I think have been there uh, before I joined. Yeah, that's great. We're going to um, a little bit later, get into some of the details around what some of the um, personal and, and corporate action might look like. But I, I want to take a step back and, and talk a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. So you've dedicated your entire career to environmental sustainability. What led you to choosing this path? Yeah, no, it's, it's um, I, I, I always kind of say that I had deep curiosity for biology, but then when you're, the question is why or how? And so the truth is, or can one, you know, the reflection there is that, so my parents are, they're from Colombia and I'm I'm first generation born here um, in the U.S., you know, light-skinned Latina. We we, we are, this is who I'm not, not too many people immediately assume that's my background, but I spent summers in Colombia, in Medellin specifically. So Medellin is in kind of the, it's in a valley in the Andes Mountains. The Andes Mountains break up into three when they go into Colombia. So the biodiversity with those different ranges is stunning. And I was able to, uh, you know, kind of family trips when I would go on the summers, uh, observe it and just, just fall in love with it really. But that was always juxtaposed with like stunning and also um, depressing poverty. It really is, right? You, you. I was able to kind of see these two things so rich in natural resources, but, you know, maybe lacking the economic strength that I observed in the U.S. So kind of those two things together. But that was where it started. And then, you know, thankfully, I like science, <laughs> right? I remember in high school very clearly studying like DNA replication, you know, my to- it's very like deep, deep into the molecular piece and just being like, wow, this happens without us having to do anything. Like th- this is the code that we're all born with. And it just, right, this happens. And I wanted to learn more about it. And I want to learn everything about it. So, you know, there, there, there go your academic kind of choices. Um, like I said, thankfully, I, I was, you know, I, I liked the biological sciences. That's what I studied in undergrad. And I thought I would follow a career in, um, you know, science and, you know, do the PhD and then um, kind of took a pause there when I was in my first master's degree. I did a first master's in environmental management where I felt like there was a need to start to think about, well, look at all these trends. They're like going down, right? Like biodiversity, right? The pollution levels, all these things. And like, how, how can I start to think about protecting this? And really was the realization that more science. I wasn't going to be the stunning or the brilliant scientist that needed to be to to do that. I knew I wasn't right. I, I was good, but you know that thing. But then I started to you know exposure through policy and business courses um, at uh, when I did my first master's, and then instead of seeing made the pivot into business where, where business was always the enemy. There were some really cool like brands back then, like the Body Shop which was like, well, how can we protect the environment, protect, you know, ecosystems and people, pay people fair, tra- you know, fair trade, all these things, but still, you know, 
be a business. And so when I started to see like what my training up to then had provided for me, it was all the right, the the scientific tools, but nothing on the business side, right? No credibility on the business side. I was going to be kind of like a, you know, granola, I was called, right? The granola kind of person trying to influence business. You, You need the credibility, right? You need to be able to speak the language of business um, not only from the hard pieces of like finance and accounting and these kinds of things, but persuasion, right? That's where that's where, where business school kind of helped me and what I needed in, in my own training to be able to do that. And then I was really lucky to break into the field, right? I broke into the field at a small consulting firm in Manhattan, actually, which I never thought I'd go to New York City. Always thought I'd go to D.C. and be like with the big NGOs or go to government and started to do this thing called corporate sustainability consulting. And companies would come and say, you know, we know climate change legislation is 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 on the horizon. What does that mean for us? What are the risks for us, right? What are the opportunities? So I did consulting for about 10 years, something like that. But starting at the boutique, and then I went to Accenture, right, which Accenture is a very large consulting firm, and so much exposure. And consulting is very much, you know, creating structure out of chaos. Like, you know, you go to a new client, they're dumping all this. Here, figure this out. Here's our problem. Here you go. Here you go. And then you, you're supposed to figure out the next five years in that small time frame, which is great training, right? Fantastic training. But then fo- following those strategies was the part missing. How do you actually take some of these ideas and make them actually move through a business, which has so many different functions, right? Um, and so I've from there, moved into in-house consulting at Nestle. I'm sorry, in-house sustainability at Nestle Waters, which is, um, you know, another training ground and, and a very big shift, right? Very big shift, where you have to now um, work through different functions, uh, speak the language of different functions, right? What what does a supply chain a professional care about versus a marketing professional, so that there can be change. Right. Um, and that that is that was a hard lesson. It's a difficult lesson. But I think I have been able to kind of learn all them and bring them to Indeed. And so when this opportunity opened up and always grateful to Laura McCafferty for bringing this opportunity and, and letting me um, be aware of it. Uh, I I knew I had the right tools in my toolkit to be able to do this. Um, but the 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 underlying motivation was always, I believe, business can be a catalyst for change, good or bad, right? And so I wanted to be uh, uh, equipped and be able to have the skill set to change that for good for the environment, right? Uh, there's a good for lots of different things. I'm good at science. This is my this is my wheelhouse. I'm going to stay here. I'm good at it. Um, and I was just really lucky to have this chance to do that here at Indeed. But that's really, really it. Just, you know, if you can change a big, big company, a little bit, just like like that, it's actually quite impactful, right? So, so that that kind of keeps me going through kind of some of this, you know, cynicism and 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 you know, kind of negativity that can come from being in this field for so long. It's, I love that. It's, it's fun. It's a fun way to. I love answering that question. Is it's, it's nice memories of kind of the ups and downs that that can happen in a career, right? Even if it's just I've done this for so long, but still, um, up and down. So you made that shift from from biology from the sciences into the corporate world um how did your perspective 
change through that process? Yes. Yes. So, so I, when I started, uh, you know, in the science, even, I remember even going into, um, when I was going to my first graduate degree, I was just kind of shocked, you know, it kind of some of the, this is a silly antidote, but I was, it was landscape ecology and we had like these tomes of papers that we had to read. And one of my classmates, <laughs> he suggested we like print all of them, you know, print all of the papers so we could have them. And I was like, but we're in the school of the environment. How can we, you know, do that? So the, the biggest shift I think from that person to who I am now is this kind of embracing this concept of trade-offs, right? There, there are trade-offs to, to things. If you want, you know, in, in that particular example, if you want to, you know, perhaps if you want to be a really good student, you have to do all those printouts. But in the business, um, you know, in the business world, there there will be trade-offs. You can't you can't invest in every single good thing, right? You have to select which one is going to give you the best return, either uh, for your brand, for your products, right? For your for your uh, employees, for Indeedians. So that embracing trade-offs versus just being so black and white is kind of the big shift, right? That that's kind of and and, and you have to be to be um, in the in the corporate world doing this type of work where um, you can't see things always in black and white because there, there will always be a trade-off to some decision or the other on your way to, you know, probably, you know, that those kinds of net zero or these concepts of eliminating our impact, improving our impact when we get somewhere. But you have to be very comfortable with that uh, because a, a black and white way of looking at things won't get you very far uh, to making change. So I think that's the biggest, the biggest difference. In the past several years, sustainability has made great strides in terms of both public awareness and commitment. But the past year, we have experienced incredible turbulence with a global pandemic, rising unemployment, economic disruption, social unrest. Throughout all this, has sustainability fallen down in the agenda? Right, right. Um, so, I, you know, I, if, peop, you know if, if we can't have our basic needs met, Right, um, and basic needs are housing, right, shelter, right, food, these kinds of things. Um, it's very hard to think of. Let's invest in right, conservation, etc. Th- those, that's true. Um, and so, I think the environmental sustainability agenda cannot be only about uh, either or, right? He- housing or, or we protect the environment. What about we, ha- and then that's where this concept of sustainable development comes in, right? Can we develop in such a way where we are still creating jobs, right? The green economy, right? If you look at kind of some of the things that um, the new administration here in the U.S. is looking to invest in, right? Green infrastructure, right? Transforming our electricity grid, which which really needs investment to to make it cleaner at the same time as creating jobs, right? So, so I I think that um, you know, kind of the making it either or can really help. Um, doesn't allow us to see the opportunities in being to develop in a way where we can address both. And again, still there's going to be trade-offs, right? It's not either, right? This isn't, this isn't a perfect world, but we need to be able to look at, and, and you know, the World Economic Forum is saying that build back better, right? Let's seize this opportunity to invest in maybe perhaps uh, things that that will uh, allow us to still, to, you know, maintain our uh, environment, maintain the the ecosystems and what we need to do for the planet to be healthy as well as our needs and and that's kind of the 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 balance there 
If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Paul Wolf, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Valeria Orozco after this break. So you mentioned previously that one of the areas that we evaluate is the impact of our vendors and suppliers and how we work with them and how we select new ones. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yes, absolutely. And I am I, with your colleague or your, your friend. Absolutely. So for Indeed, there are, um, I, you know, there's two ways that I start with, right? First, um, our operations our operational footprint, um, and we, we don't have a manufacturing base, right? Um, we don't have a very heavy supply chain like a food company. Um, so, so our operations, uh, the biggest part of our impact is actually in our vendor spend, right? That, that's the biggest part of our impact because um, that, that's where the bulk of our spending activity is. And so um, when we're looking at our operations, yes, we have – we have offices, right? We have waste. We've got business travel, employee commuting, um, and then and then we've got our the, the procurement spend. When you think of the impact, that's the biggest part. But all those pieces need to be addressed, and that's all under our operations, right? Um, and I I feel I always like I advocate very strongly that for us, um, as indeed you know we kind of get our house in order internally in terms of operations, um, and what that means is. You know, having a roadmap of what that's what that decreasing that impact is going to look like. That's really what. Once we have that roadmap, you know, then you know, let, let's shift over to where how this might resonate in our products, right? Our products, our services, our job seekers, our customers. Like, very, very, very exciting work there to be to be explored, right? I know we have a lot of opportunity on that piece, um, and on that, you know, I think. There's there's a potential opportunity to explore there a very short, in the short term of our um, you know virtual interviewing platform, right? Um, what does that represent quantifiably from a greenhouse gas emissions reductions for our customers and our job seekers, right? Um, and and quantifying that having some kind of you know environmental claim that's third party verified that's that can be our first green product right or a green claim for our product and so these are the two things operations and products and that that's really what um the framework uh, of where we're going starting with our operations and maybe working in parallel of course um to to looking at how this might resonate with with those that use indeed so you talked about your experience before working first as a consultant and then in-house. And so you came to Indeed with both of those experiences. Can you talk about how um, how both of those roles influenced your approach here? Yeah, absolutely. So so this is – so it, it can seem very, very – I would have seen this a long time ago as a very daunting task, right? You have a company that's growing very quickly, right, um, that, that – um, I think that's the, the 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 biggest thing, right? A company that's growing quickly that hasn't yet, right, done anything public uh, on this piece. So when I think of my consulting work, when I was talking about creating some structure out of chaos and that tool toolkit, like you just have all these disparate data sources, you have them in all all, all parts of the company, and you're trying to get to 
a number, right? Which is which is what we're doing to measure our impact. And and that skill set was the one that helped me when I first joined. Okay, like wh- wh- how does this work? Where are we? What do we need? Who do I need to ask questions to? Right? And there's a whole thing around um, uh, knowing where to look and kind of looking at where you're going in terms of creating that structure out of and I, chaos is 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 kind of the wrong word but there's just it, it wasn't quite as uh, in a centralized place which is where I'm trying to get to right um so that's that's really how the consulting piece helped with this when i think about going you know the in-house cons- uh, sustainability role so much of sustain environmental sustainability work rests on your relationships the relationship and the trust that you build with your colleagues who you are influencing. I don't, I don't have ownership of a PL, right? Right? I don't have that. Right? I'm not there day to day making you know, decisions for the real estate team or facilities or IT or even our product development. But I want to be a trusted source, right? And that's where that was kind of, you know, the in-house sustainability role that I had previous to Indeed. I really learned that very well. Right, um, where there's this 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 kind of influence and trust building, and you know, making sure that I'm not seen as kind of somebody who's going to say, you know, sustainability is the most important thing here. No, everyone's role, right? Everyone has their mandate. How can we make these things work together? Maybe not tomorrow, but how about a year from now? Right? These this kind of um, collaborative approach that's really needed from somebody who has. I'm influencing, right? I'm trying to to change a bit. Um, even though we'll have, you know, targets, we'll have targets for the company, but how we how fast we get to that, right? And maybe meet them beforehand really depends on on the team, the team building piece there. And I, um, those are the two, I think, big things that I was able to bring to Indeed, which was was really why I wasn't so so. Um, overwhelmed with with thinking about taking some something like this on, and I, I feel desperately responsible for I feel like a steward of our environmental impact right it's and so I'm ready for that and it's so exciting yeah and and that's really exciting I know we've been talking about that quite a bit recently and and for anyone um, who's hearing this for the first time that it might not be obvious to you know when we talk about our impact with 10,000 employees on just commuting and business travel and that's something that we're looking at and obviously in a in a future where we're going to be having more people who have the ability to work remotely or to, to work from home more days. Cutting down on commute has a, has a positive impact, but with the virtual hiring platform, we're looking at not just our 10,000 employees, but the tens or hundreds of millions of people who can interview for jobs and not necessarily have to get in a car and public transportation to go somewhere. And um, it's really exciting to, to think about the impact that that might have. Um, so in, in addition to, you know, you talked about our, our operations and, um, and our, our vendors and then what we might do with our products, we are also asking employees to make personal commitments. Can you talk about why that's important? Absolutely. So personal commitments. Um, so th- I, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing there because, you know, there are, there's an argument that, I, that I've heard like, well, if you ask people to make personal commitments uh, without, um, th- they might think that, that that's it, that that's all they have to do. There's nothing to move forward on that. And so the the reasoning behind asking for personal commitments is very much around trying to spark curiosity and trying to spark inspiration. So as you look back, 
there's so much guilt when it comes to the environmental impact we have, right? There's guilt, there's echo anxiety, people are overwhelmed. So those that are, that, you know, shift into action or are, you know, become curious to learn more based on kind of the climate emergency, I don't, those are not the ones that I, you know, I need to, I need to try to inspire, convince, right? They're, 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 they're there with me. What I, what I want to kind of inspire with asking people to make a personal commitment, and I'll talk about what those are in a second, is to kind of overcome some of that echo anxiety. If you're overwhelmed, come, you know, just let's come and get inspired together, right, with some some basic knowledge. So I've, I've designed those personal commitments for some really easy foundational steps. And the first one is, you know, read your electricity bill. This is about climate, right? Read your, read your electricity bill. It's four pages, just just read it. What what's what's interesting there? What what did you learn? What's do you know what a you know kilowatt hour is? Then maybe you'll start to look at the utility that that provides that for you, um, and and start to look at maybe some energy efficiency programs. These these kinds of things. But asking um, Indians to make a personal commitment is not to say you know oh n- now now we're done. It's more like come and join us. You know look Indeed is is, is on this journey. C- come and join us. What inspires you? And, and here are some tools to do that. Um, so that that's really the kind of the thinking behind that and the approach more so than perhaps like, um, you know, you have to do this or you know this kind of, um, like I was just saying that kind of, you know, you have to do it or else the world is going to X, Y, Z. That's not it. You know, let's let's try a more softer approach, and then we'll get to the hard part. But <laughs> let's let's get let's get let's get the heart first before we have to you know get the mind potentially. Before we move on to sort of talking about where we might be going in the future, I, I want to take one step back to to one thing that you, you had mentioned before about the vendors and suppliers that we work with. Can you talk a little bit about the the model for how you approach? Um, thinking about the the impact of the people we work with today and then how we might select people in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So so I'll use like some some technical terms from from the field, right? So, uh, vendors vendor spend, supply chain spend is is usually typically in something called scope 3 emissions. Like the scope 3, there's three scopes, it's a, it's a form of accounting. Why is that important? Um, so why do I use scope three is because typically you will hear when you're looking at how companies disclose some of their information, scope three is the last thing they do because it's completely out of their control. So um, I think when we're thinking about that, because that's our the biggest part of our impact, we need to start tackling that sooner rather than later. Where, you, where if we're comparing ourselves to maybe a manufacturing company where they have a different scope of emissions, they would focus on on those. Ours is three, which you won't hear too much in in the kind of um, you know sustainability reports from other companies because people are a little more cautious about disclosing scope three or talking about scope three because it's out of their control. It's out of companies' control. So um, my approach, and this is why you know, kind of sharing our our data internally first is, you know, is. Um, Let's dig into that scope three. What what is that number, right? And so, there are two ways to measure that. You can ha- you can ask all your vendors for their their data, you know, their greenhouse gas emissions data, and collect that. That's gonna that takes a long time, right? And that's where we want to go. But what we can do is take a proxy. Well, let's take a proxy. So take a dollar 
at what dollar, and then you categorize your vendors. There's all there's these models called the environmental, economic, input, output models. And basically, they say, if you spend a dollar here, this is on average how much greenhouse gas emissions you've emitted. And when I say spend a dollar here, it depends on, on where. Marketing and advertising is a data center hosting. Each one of those industries have been categorized in these models to tell you which one is has a heavier impact. So that's the approach, right? Let's start that. Let's get ourselves to a number to understand out of all these vendors, which ones do we have to like, you know, kind of put our <laughs> very closely look at and start to ask those questions of them in a very high touch way. Do you, have you started to measure this? What are your plans to measure this? Guess what? In two or three years, this is going to be required for us, right? Um, and, and that have that be part of our influencing of industries that perhaps haven't thought about that yet. And that's the, that's the exciting part, right? That's to be able to influence that. And if, if the, it doesn't work, looking at alternatives sooner rather than later. Obviously, we need price. We need quality. These are things like I was talking about trade-offs, right? We still need delivery on time. We still need qu high quality service. But let's see what happens when we add the environmental criteria to our RFPs. And it won't be a surprise because we're going to start to talk about them sooner rather than later. But without a number, which we have and we're sharing internally, it would be very hard to know where to focus. So, so that's the approach um, that we go through with that. And again, working through procurement, of course, our leadership and procurement, working through all of those different functions that make those procurement decisions has to be part of that, right? Because I can't make a decision on my own, like, oh, this vendor. Mm -mm. No, I can't do that, right? It, it, it's, it's, it has to be the best decision for the business, still having this be part of the conversation. So to, to wrap things up, um, one of the questions that I, I like to, to ask is um, looking back over the events of the last 14 months, um, is there anything that you have, have seen or experienced or, or, or realized that leaves you more optimistic for the future? It's, I mean, it's very personal, but I think that's, that's the, um, so I have a six-year-old, she's going to be seven on Friday. Um, and just her resilience for all this is, she's, sorry, <laughs> is, um, I think that keeps me optimistic, right? There's a lot of seeing her adapt to these things, mask wearing and not seeing her friends and, and, um, you know, now she's back in person and you know, dealing with all that and her resilience through all this, you know, is kind of gives me optimism for the future. So I shouldn't have picked that. <laughs> yeah, but yes, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Look, this is, uh, this has been um, a, a time, I think, where so many people have, uh, whether or not, whether they liked it or not, had an opportunity to take a step back and look at what is most important to them. And especially for those of us that are, that are fortunate enough to be um, with our family, because so many people have been isolated from their families, but just the, the, the clarity of, of what's important and that um, for everyone at, at different stages of life to, to go through an experience like this, there's, there's no way that we don't come out changed individually, which means that hopefully as a society, 
there's there's some new perspective that comes out of all this. So, but thank you so much for sharing that, and um, thank you so much, Valeria, for joining me today. And thanks for everything that you do for Indeed, and really very clearly and directly in your work for the world to help make it a better place. So, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.